0: Hello, BU family. I'm so happy to be back with you. I really hope the last two episodes have been helpful and I hope they were refreshing. You know, we closed out 2021 and did it in a way that really, really invited you and allowed you to make peace with it, be grateful, find the wins, really feel into what you want more of that you experienced in that year while releasing all of it. And then... The following week, we looked at 2022 in a way that's not super popular, yet it's just so in sync with how we be on BU. So in looking at 2022, I personally was thinking about, you know, where this podcast is going. You know that it's growing. We're in almost 100 countries. We've been top 100 so many times because of you, by the way, because you're sharing it. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And so I want to keep doing what we're doing, and I want to have more guests and do more interviews. And because of the success of the podcast, one, I'm more confident in asking people to be on, but I also have those numbers now to back up the podcast so we're able to get people like you're about to hear from in today's episode. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to this coming year with you. We have so much planned for you. And today is going to be one of your favorites. Preston Smiles is a master coach. He is a husband. He is a father. He is a vessel and a voice for love. He is a teacher. He's a speaker. He's a published author. And he's one of my coaches. You've heard me talk about Elementum Coaching Institute so much in the last six to nine months. I've shared so much of my experience going through that and what I learned about myself and just about this whole human experience from some of the best coaches in the world. One of them was Preston Smiles, who started that institute and company. And I'm so grateful that I get to share him with you. If you're not already a student of his or a fan of his or someone who learns from him, you are in for a treat. And those of you who are, you know, it's interesting. You're going to get a side to Preston that you may not see when you follow him online. And it's just so beautiful. So I normally, when we have guests, which, you know, we do mostly solo episodes, but when we have guests, I don't like to read a big, long bio. But there are certain people um, like Preston who, you know, I feel very called to do that. One, he deserves that. But two, I want you to hear how the way he is has manifested, what he has co-created with God, how he has impacted the lives of so many people in the world. And it also, I think it'll make you very proud too of this community that we attracted someone like him. Unapologetically himself, Preston Smiles is the epitome of someone who's committed to the work and humanity. As a personal freedom coach, multimillionaire conscious businessman, father, husband, experiential speaker, and author of Love Louder, 33 Ways to Amplify Your Life, Preston Smiles is a force to be reckoned with on the personal growth scene. Coaching thousands of people since 2005, leading cutting-edge workshops all over the world with his equally powerful wife, Alexi, Preston Smiles is on fire just like his huge personality. Winning awards like Millennial Mentor of the Year, gracing the cover of Inspired Coach Magazine, being featured on some of the biggest podcasts in the world and media platforms such as one of my very favorites, and where I found him, by the way, Impact Theory with Tom Villeu, and School of Greatness with Lewis Howes. Preston is touching the hearts and souls of thousands of people daily through his provocative social media videos and writings. As Jack Canfield and Michael Beckwith have said, Preston Smiles is unstoppable. You will love his essence. You will love his heart. He is dynamic. He is Powerful. He is loving. He is kind. He's gentle, yet so strong. I'm so glad that I get to now call him a friend. And here he is, Preston Smiles.
1: There is nothing more inspiring than a woman being unapologetically herself. The
0: answers are all in your heart.
1: She's waiting, she's waiting, she's waiting for you to set her free.
0: Welcome to BU Podcast. I'm Jill Herman, and I am so glad you're here. I was broke, insecure, and craved approval. But with grit, hustle, and sacrifice, I still built a successful multimillion-dollar business. Ten years in, burnout, I slowed down and looked inward. In that silence, I discovered that the same level of success could have come to me with much less effort and so much more joy. That's when I threw out the expectations of the world and chose to unbecome every single thing I thought I was supposed to be. And the real me was uncaged. It was far from easy. And in this podcast, I'll offer my entire journey as a roadmap so that if you're ready, you can finally be you. Okay, everybody. So you heard my amazing interjection about uh, Preston Smiles. And what I'm excited to have him share with you is not everything that just impressed you, right? All the books he's written, all the speaking he's done, the money he's made, the people he's helped, all that's huge. And what I love about Preston is that that does not define who he is. He's proud of it but does not divine who he is. So here I am with Preston Smiles, my mentor, my new friend, someone I admire so much and I'm so grateful for. So Preston, will you share with all these women, in we're in almost 100 countries, so many different women in different cultures, all feeling and experiencing the same thing. Will you share with them first, you know, who you are outside of all of your accomplishments?
1: Blessings and blessings, everybody. First and foremost, I want to say thank you to you for showing up the way that you have this conversation this ceremony that we are interacting and going through wouldn't be possible without the courage to keep putting your hand up even when you don't have the answers and that's a really big deal and it's an even bigger deal I'll call it the wiser we get now I want to use numbers and say the older we get and actually I will I will say that because I'm considered by a lot of people to be an elder, right? And there's a big difference between being an older and an elder. An older is just somebody who's aging and is still in in an a-hole at some level and hasn't really looked at and picked up the baton and said, you know what? You can follow me. An elder is somebody who is willing to continuously relook at themselves and rewire and unlearn and all the while going first. I believe it was John Maxwell that said leaders not only um know the way but they go the way and they show the way. And Jill, that is how I see you. That's how I see myself and that is one of the main reasons why this was a huge yes for me. I've said no to the last 20 or so podcast request because there's only so much time in a day. And I usually just check in energetically with what is there. And on so many levels, you and I are like uh, kindred spirits and I'm really grateful, which means I'm grateful for all of you. Anybody listening, wherever you are in the world, I just want you to know that we feel you, we see you, we appreciate you. As far as who I am, Oh, that's a loaded question, but I will say that what's true for me is that I'm a messenger of love sent here to remind us all of the one truth, which is love is all there is, was, and ever will be. You heard how that manifests itself in the world. I'll say what's most important to me outside of my beautiful, amazing, crazy family, because I have four children under four. Any of you who have kids, you know that I'm getting my ass kicked. What's most important to me outside of my family is being love's voice and being a voice for the voiceless, Uh, being a synthesizer of universal truths and ancient wisdom in such a way that people can really like receive it and then put it into action in their lives. And so, this is a beautiful gathering of the minds and the hearts and I'm just
0: super appreciative to be here. Thank you. As he was saying that, i got choked up and I was mouthing to him, I'm going to cry because I knew there were a lot of people who have probably asked for your time and do every single day. And the thing that I think you'll be happy to hear is that I wasn't surprised that you said yes, even though I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. (laughs) I mean, I don't, but I believed you would say yes. And I felt confident asking you anyway. So as far as what you just said, for some people, it, it was like really deep, you know, your love's voice, your... How did that happen, though? Like, how do you think it happened? I don't know if you even know how it happened, but how did that even happen? Because there are people who go through life. They want to make a difference. They want to help people. They're not just out for themselves, but it it kind of stops at a certain point. How do you think this, where did this depth come from? I know it's God, but like, how do you think it like came through you just because it was supposed to, and that was your role on earth? I mean, you had to say yes to it, right? Yes. (laughs)
1: Yes to all of that. I think I'm still figuring out. There are some formulas and some things when I really look back at, because I made a huge transition at the age of 33. I moved in with my mom and was sick and tired of being sick and tired. It was one of those things where I knew that I had medicine on my heart. Uh, I knew that I had a soul calling. I didn't understand the exact GPS like coordinates, but I knew the direction. And I, I want to say this to anybody out there who, whether you're in your 50s or you're in your early 20s, wherever you are in this conversation, I want to remind you that direction is so much more important than speed. Uh, a lot of times we get ourselves in trouble because we're trying to race and get there fast and knowing the general direction is what helped me continue to sort of unfold this beautiful onion that is me. And I was speaking to some of my family earlier today, actually, because we're in this Marco Polo group where I'm just getting to know my cousins and all of them. And I asked them a question that they were stumped by. And I answered it myself three weeks later, which is today. I just let them sit with this question. And I, I asked them, what is your understanding of God? And do you believe that it is predestined and already written? Or do you believe that we are co creating? And how does that mechanism work? And today I shared with them that my truth is that God is an isness, it doesn't have personality traits like a human. It doesn't have genitals, um, so I don't call it a he or anything of that nature. And my understanding of it is it is always in always saying yes. And how we start the engine of that big yes is through our thoughts, our words, and our actions. Now, how our thoughts, words, and actions get formulated is through our programming. And about eight and a half years ago, I was sitting in a class while living at my mom's house, reading the book, Science of Mind by Ernest Holmes. And there was this line in there, and I don't know if you've ever read something that just bent your entire consciousness, but I read this line, which said, to get your questions answered and your answers questioned. Now, I'm going to say that again, for those of you in the back, asking yourselves, what the hell did he just say? The line said to get your questions answered and your answers questioned. And I began to just look at my life in an entire different way because I always stopped at getting my questions answered, but I never really looked and reevaluated whether those answers were in alignment with the truth of my being, which is very different than social and historical programming. I tell this story uh, in our workshops that my wife and I do about how I almost broke up with her because of how much toothpaste she was using when we first moved in together. And it's so interesting because it wasn't mine. It was my mom's programming and her mom's and her mom's and her mom's. So this scarcity and this lack and limitation, when I would see her put like a giant glob of toothpaste on the brush, my body would have a visceral reaction. And you know, because we've been working together that the body remembers what the mind forgets. The body remembers what the mind forgets. And so whether I was consciously aware of how many little subtle messages I received around money and scarcity and lack as a child, whether I was conscious of that or not, my body was having a visceral reaction to my wife, girlfriend at the time, putting toothpaste on a toothbrush. And so all of that to say, my belief is... This isness that we call God, that some people call Buddha, that some people call Krishna, that some people call Allah, that some people call divine intelligence, that is-ness is always saying yes, and Hitler used it, and Gandhi used it, and Jesus used it, and now Jill and Preston and anybody else who has eyes to see and ears to hear will be using it. We're using it no matter what. The question is, is are we doing it consciously or are we doing it unconsciously? And so how I got here is by questioning the answers.
0: Okay. So there are people who will question the answers mm-hmm. and they still will never reach their potential. Mm. They stop. Is that because they don't escape the programming? Cause you and I both know you're in this world so much, you know, I'm new to this world. You're in this world so much. I'm like, here I am. I'm teaching him. Do you realize there are people who don't know what the hell you're talking about? I mean, there are people who don't even know. I mean, people listen to my podcast. We talk about this all the time. But there are people, right, who don't even realize what you just said about the programming and the toothpaste. They're still catching up to that. Like, what is he talking about? I wonder if, I guess I'll say I believe, I think I believe that there are people that are destined... For greatness, and greatness doesn't have to be doing what you do, right? Greatness can be just helping anyone, you know, doing anything that, that's good in this world, right? I know a lot of people doing great things who don't have the bank account, don't have the blue check mark, all that, but they're just as important and just as as valuable. And I see people, and I know you do every single day, who don't get past the toothpaste story. They don't get past it, and it's okay. But I look at that and I'm thinking, they think I'm not destined to do great things. I'm like, yeah, but you're stuck in the toothpaste. You are, but you and but so they don't see it yet. So how do you, with what you do, how do you help people like that that are listening that are saying, okay, I want that, but I can't get past the story of my partner's irritating me, my kids are irritating, my friends irritate me, I'm not enough, I'm I'm a fuck up. Where do they start?
1: This is a powerful question to sit in and I'm appreciative that you brought that up because uh, in 2019, my father, um, I went to Burning Man and while I was there, we received the news that we were having boy-girl twins and uh, this was on a Tuesday and anybody who's ever been to Burning Man, which is a giant ecosystem that some people call a festival, but it's a world uh, knows that there's not much reception there. And somehow, some way, I got a a call came through that I missed from my dad, saying that he had heard from Alexi, who was not there with me, that we're having twins and he was so happy. Two days later, my father passed away on a bathroom floor, surrounded by some of his friends who happened to be prostitutes and drug addicts and things of that nature. And I'm sharing the story with you because my father on the surface, could be one of those people that we'd say, in this lifetime, he did not surpass his dharma. He did not reach into his potential. But what if, what if there's only one of us here? And what if each of us continuously passes the baton to each of us to... uh, express and experience, reflect and reveal God's love in only the way that we can. So if there is no separation, what my dad experienced, even though to our understanding of culture and society, what he was doing was bad and wrong, but bad and wrong is relative and subjective depending on who's looking and what era we're living in. Uh, going back to, and I'll I'll break this down just a little bit more, there's four aspects of what it means to be human. We are biological beings. That's number one. Number two, we are linguistic beings, which means we build worlds with our language. Everything we do is in language. And so without the distinction and the language called door and doorknob, you and I would be stuck in what we would call a room. But the moment we have the language for door and doorknob, opportunities open up. So that's number two. Number three, we are social and historical beings, which means we were born into beliefs and interpretations. Born into beliefs and interpretations. If you were born in Saudi Arabia, you may believe a certain thing. But if you were born in Australia, you may believe another. If you were born in the 1920s, you would believe that alcohol was illegal and bad and wrong. But if you were born in 1985, you would believe that it was perfectly fine. So, that is our social and historical programming, depending on which of that you came out of, you know, you may have a different social and historical understanding. And then there's all these little micro things that happen inside of our world, where whether your dad was present or not, whether your mom was uh, traumatized by men or not, will dictate how we view the world. And so, number four, we are quantum beings. And this is that's a whole nother can of worms for any of you who've ever, uh, let's call it, caught the Holy Ghost or uh, dropped in on molly or ayahuasca or danced so hard that you forgot that there was anything other than isness and God. That's the, the beginning of the quantum conversation. But I'm sharing that to say, I don't believe we can lose. I believe that the idea of greatness is a, let's call it man-made, woman-made term that is not necessarily true, it's just true. And I'll say that one more time. It's not necessarily true with a capital T, it's just true. And it's only true because we buy into it. I think there there, there are constructs. I have friends right now, I have a friend who I grew up with who lives on the streets of LA. And every few months I'd go search the streets and find him and make sure he's okay and give him food. And I asked him, once, you know, why don't you just move back in with your mom and get back on your feet? I'll, I'll pay for it. I'll take care of you. And he said, it's too late for me, man. Um, he says, I don't want to mess my kids up anymore by, by trying and then not succeeding. And I believe he got that idea from the same place I got it. Cause we grew up, I'd known him since I was five years old. There's an entire construct that says, if you get good grades, if you do what mommy and daddy says is good. If you do what the church says is good, if you play great at sports, this is all this weird reward system where there is the haves and the have-nots. And Elliot, my best friend as a child, and myself were a part of the have-not crew. The difference between him and I is I had a father who spoke life into me. He didn't have that. And so while we were in special education and a part of these cliques and gangs and believing that we weren't good enough because... We didn't fit into the standardized way that society says we should. There was this underlying current of like, okay, well, this is the end of my life. I'm destined to be a bum because I didn't get good grades because I didn't have a standardized brain. And so for me, I'm, I question the answers as well. And I look at that. And even with my own children, doing my best to be led by them as well, Because right? that's, one of the things that I'm noticing is the, the urge to, to want to lead them, to tell them what's right and wrong. And there's just so much space for us to learn and grow from each other. And there is a involution that's causing an evolution that's causing a revolution, which is why we're even on this podcast of people waking up to the truth of their being, which means if you are here to play the Spanish guitar for the rest of your life, whether it's on a stage or on the side of a road, then so be it right? As long as we have food, water, shelter, which we have enough of on this planet, there's enough for everybody. And yet there's this greedy construct that we're we're dismantling. And a part of the dismantling is to dismantle it within ourselves.
0: It's interesting, while you were talking, I realized something about myself. Because when I said, you know, there are people that don't get past the toothpaste, they're stuck in the toothpaste. That's my programming, wanting to save everybody because i i don't judge that i don't say that to sound good i really don't judge it i probably used to i don't judge it i i want to help everyone i'm like it makes me sad you know you're stopping yourself you're and and i realized that's all my stuff my codependency i hate giving it labels but oh my god like you look at codependency and my name shows up <laughs> i didn't even know the word by the way till like a year ago i've never i don't even think i ever heard the word or it ever registered and when i learned what it was i was like oh my god that's me And my now my kids, too. So we could talk for eight hours. And I know you can't, but I want to. But one thing, I I was really feeling into what this conversation might be. And when I do my podcast, even though I've never done one, I didn't even know what I was doing, one way we're alike is I don't prepare anything. I don't write anything down. I just close my eyes and start talking. So I love that. And I still feel like this is supposed to be talked about because I thought about it before. And then when you talked just now and you brought up kids, so... I thought to myself, so here we are, aren't you 40? 41, so we're nine years apart. And our lives went in two completely different directions only to end up coming to the same lessons, right? And neither one is right or wrong, even though I'm judging mine. Anyway, but when I look at kids, I wanted to ask you this. I was laying in bed the other night and I said, DK, I know what I'm gonna ask him. And he said, what? And I said, I know I'm gonna ask him can you imagine kind of like the guitar on the streets compared to the, can you imagine you have these four children and with or without Alexi, but you have done none of this work, none of it. It's still okay. And that's where most people are. But I mean, just what's your response to that raising these kids? You can't even imagine it because you're who you are now, but that was me, Preston. I gave birth to three children completely unaware and unconscious, completely just driven by my trauma and having no idea. I was a high achiever. I was a good mom. Christine Hassler, his, a friend of his and a colleague of his is my coach. And uh, she, just the other day we were talking and she's like, tell me all the ways that you are not your mother and that you're a great mom. And so I was listing these things and she goes, what about all the fucking work you've done on yourself? And I was like, oh, Well, that's, oh, I didn't think about that. I was thinking about, I had birthday parties for my kids. I actually, I had parents who I love them so much, but I mean, they were so lost, so lost. I mean, I was in a sport. They didn't even know I was in the sport. I signed myself up. I walked myself. I got rides. We didn't have a car. I mean, you know, and I look at where my kids are now and yes, it's better, but all of the trauma from her mother and her mother and her and me came right through. And so I just thought about that. And like, I spent these years having these kids doing the best I could, exploding on them, Preston, screaming and yelling to the point where, I mean, it's still so hard for me, like even talking about it, I just trying to forgive myself for that because I know better, but that's what was coming through. If my kids were sitting here, they would tell you what a great mom I am. And they would also say, yeah, it was awful. I mean, I'm not saying it just for dramatic effect. Some moms, you know, it's like the girl who says, tries to say she's fat. So people, oh, no, you look good. Okay, I've never been that girl. Like, I'm saying this because it's true. I would scream sometimes where I look back now and my daughter who's 23. She's like, mom, I, I wet my pants one time because you scared me so much. Anyway, so that's because I didn't know any of this. So we've got moms listening who, if they're listening to this podcast, they're aware. But some of them have not done any quote unquote work. I've asked you like 10 questions in one because I tend to do that. So first, starting with you, just the question about what do you think it would look like if you had these four children and you had done none of this work? You hadn't questioned any answers whatsoever.
1: Well, before I even go into that, just thank you for your transparent share. I think you know this, but there's a big difference between transparency and vulnerability. I believe you can hurt me with certain information. It's vulnerable. Um, But when I am using Certain information to uplift and teach and support others it 's transparency, and my experience of what you just shared was transparency, so thank you for that. I think it ultimately is and uh, will continue to be a gift with that said, yeah there's without you know attaching to right and wrong, good and bad, we know what would happen. I believe, and, and i didn 't do that well in school per se, but I think it was Isaac Newton who said an object in motion remains in motion until an equal or opposite force comes. So if no equal or opposite force comes, then what's happening is my dad, his dad, his dad, his dad, and his dad just keep passing the same baton over and over and over again. And that trauma just keeps being replayed in the next generation and the next generation until somebody or something comes and knocks it off course and off track. Now, when I was 25 years young, I got a heart condition. I wouldn't be sitting here with you today and I probably wouldn't be experiencing the great fullness that I do every single day without that heart condition because it was scary enough that I didn't want to die. And so you don't mess with the heart. You can mess with everything else. You mess with the heart, that thing stops, you're gone. And so as a 25 year old, the cardiologist that I was seeing said, you're way too young to be in here. And from what I can see, there's two things going on. And he asked me these questions, actually. He said, what are your stress levels like? And what's your diet like? And I didn't even understand what stress was. I just didn't understand it because I had been living from stress since 13 years old. From 13 to 25, I believed, and I'm still sort of pulling this out of my body, that it was my job to be the man in the house. My dad quit, essentially, at 13 on us or on life. And he decided that he would never work for the white man again and that screw this, screw that. And him cheating and his drug issues and losing all our houses and cars and all of that stuff had me believe that there was no space for anything other than me to take care of the family. And so from 13 to 25, I was so stressed out. And this Beautiful man who didn't have a father himself followed me to college. And I remember there was a point where he had to sleep on the mattress that we found outside. We found a mattress outside and we put it in the living room. And this is my roommates. You know, I'm 20 years old and I quote unquote should be enjoying college. And here's my sort of strung out father sleeping on a mattress in my living room. And that level of stress every day, just wondering, hey, is this guy going to die? Is he going to overdose? I need to do really well and make it fast so that I can put him in rehab. That was how I was thinking as a 17-year-old, let alone a 20-year-old, let alone a 23-year-old. And so by the time I got to 25, with all of that just sitting on me, my body went and my heart went through these weird palpitations really fast and really slow, then really fast and really slow. And he essentially said, you're on a fast track to death if you don't switch these two things up. And I think it was two days later, my girlfriend at the time, her mother said, hey, Preston, I know you don't read because of the dyslexia thing, but I just got this book by Jerry and Esther Hicks called Asking It Is Given. And I just think you should just look. Now, at that time, I literally had no idea about any of this world. And I read the first couple pages and it said, your thoughts become things and you create your own reality. And I almost threw the book at the wall because I was 25 and I'd never heard that ever in my life. And like never, nobody in my world even could even repeat a sentence like that. And I know I'm answering this in a backwards way, but just to jump to kids. I still think, and I say this often, it's impossible to block our children from the lessons they came here to get. And I was talking to this young guy who's a podcaster. I won't say his name. We were talking about forgiveness. And I said, you know, I'm still in the process of forgiving my dad. And he's like, probably 30. And he's like, bro, why don't you just forgive him? Like, it's that simple. And I was like, "Um, here's the deal, bro in the grand scheme of things, I understand that my children don't belong to me. They came through me, but they don't belong to me. And yet there's this primal part of me that wants to protect them at all cost. And I'm aware that whatever lessons, whatever ass kickings they came here to get, whatever car accidents, whatever, anything that, is here for them to experience, I cannot block them from that at all. But what I can do is equip them with the best of me. What I can do is be a walking, talking, living demonstration of what it looks like to get off the ground, get back up, dust yourself off, open your heart again, and enter the room. I can do that. And that will inevitably bleed off into them, their children, their children, and their children. And that's my job. That's the only part that I can really take care of.
0: Okay. So when you just said, it's so, so interesting, isn't it? I was taking it a direction, which is the same direction of me wanting to rescue the world. When I just said to you, what, what would it have been like to raise kids, not knowing what you know now? And you're like, it would have been okay. Mm -hmm. But that's still being transparent. That's still so hard for me to take in. I know it, but I'm not letting myself know it. Like, I think it's because I still have so much guilt over the years of raising my kids that way. It's like I'm looking through that lens of guilt and I can't quite, I know what you're saying, but I'm not ready to hear it. Does that make sense? Interesting. So a lot of the women who listen are moms and I always tell them, if you never want to be a mom and you're not a mom, you have a mom. So we can talk about momming all the time. So when we look at our kids, when you said, I can't block them from whatever they're supposed to experience. Again, I know that's normal for you, but that's something that, People listening right now are hearing it the way I am like, oh shit, I've heard it. And I've even said that on this podcast, but I admit to them that I don't live that yet. I'm very honest with them. I don't live that. I know that, but I don't live it. I mean, I still every day have to remind myself, okay, they're not mine. They're not mine. They're not mine. Okay. Speaking of kids, something else that came to me, I think it was last night and again this morning that it's an uncomfortable question but I really want to ask you this. And I feel like I can tell I'm going to cry, so I know I need to ask you this. You're not the only black person I know, right? You know, there are people like that though. I have black friends, but there's a reason I'm asking you this, okay? So I'm in a position where at 48, my 20-year-old at the time daughter who was really on a scary path, like really scary path. I hadn't spoken to her in months. She hadn't spoken to us in months. She's here to teach me a lot, called me from a Walmart bathroom and said, mommy, I'm pregnant. And so we talked about all of her options. And, you know, I said, I'll respect whatever decision you make. Let's just talk about each of them. So we're clear. And then we invited her to come back home, to move back home with us. And she decided to keep the baby, which was a scary thought, honestly, for us. And I said to her, I, I will raise this child with you. For the first few years, I'll always be there, but I'm going to raise this child with you because the father was not around. So I've been raising a child, I don't know if you know that, at 48, an infant, doing what you're doing now, different level of responsibility is not really mine, but yet I was the father. So I've been fathering, which I can't really, right? But mothering and fathering this child. That My point is that I said something on Instagram once about the fact that I don't take lightly I don't take lightly that he's biracial, that he's black. I don't take that lightly. But I also don't want it to be his identity. So the question that came to me when I woke up this morning was, how do you raise a child in the United States? A lot of women listening are all over the world. So bear with us. The U.S. is and isn't a little different. How do we raise this child to be so proud of his culture, so proud of who he is, and to know it when I don't know it, but also... To not make the color of his skin his identity, knowing that in this country, most people will make it his identity. I woke up to that question. I'm like, I know I have to ask Preston that because we're going to give him love, right? We're surrounding him with people who are, I have friends who are like, we'll teach him culture. We're, we we got him. We, we're good with that. We don't want to make it who he is, but yet people will make it who he is. So he has more Caucasian in him and Mexican and Italian than he does African but my friend said to me, Jill, you will raise him as a black child. And I'm okay with that. But I didn't understand that. And I felt silly. But I was like, wait, what? She goes, Jill, it doesn't matter how light his skin is. He is black. You can tell by looking at him and he will be seen as black. So you have to raise him black. And I'm like, how am I going to do that? So Tristan's like, what the hell are you asking me this question for? So, but see, your children have you. My daughter's still single and she envisions calling in a black man as her partner for many reasons. And one of them is for, for Rocco. But what if she doesn't? Okay, go.
1: So once again, another beautiful transparent share. Thank you for going there. Thank you for being courageous enough to ask. And yeah, your, your friend is pretty spot on. And this is just around the world in general. You know, I've traveled to India quite a bit, all over Mexico, Australia, Costa Rica, UK, Canada, and so many other places. Iceland, I can just, the list goes on. And the one thing that has been consistent in all of those places is the subtle and also just direct repression of the indigenous people who often have skin that looks like mine. And so like, for instance, if you were to turn on Mexican TV right now, all the pretty and good Mexicans would look like essentially Caucasian, Ken and Barbie kind of Mexicans. When most Mexicans are pretty dark and have darker features. It's similar in Asia. They have the skin lightning cream and they wear the gloves when the sun's out because they don't want to be, appear to be dark because dark is considered bad and wrong and fill in the blank. It's similar in India with our caste system, the darker you are, the poorer you are, the worse off you are because we've demonized indigenous people of this planet essentially and created these, um, inside of the drama triangle, The vil- we've villainized black and brown people. Now, what I said earlier about the best gift that I could give my children is the same one that you get to give that little boy, which is the demonstration of what's possible. Culture is going to find him no matter what, because it lives in his veins, it lives in his blood, all of them. And yes, because we humans still have that reptilian brain, we are constantly trying to put people in boxes. Um, there's so much information coming to us and through us that we delete, distort, and generalize often in order to save calories and not have to burn ourselves out receiving all of the bits of information that are happening. And so when we see color for now, we just put people in boxes and then we we start to generalize. Okay, well, that person's brown. And you know what I saw of brown people in the movies... Uh, And I don't think this is even conscious, right? Cinderella and all the greats, all the great humans of the world are, are these happen to be these white people, right? Santa Claus, Jesus, Cinderella. We know Jesus wasn't, but that's what's portrayed. And similar to the doll test. Are you familiar with that? There's a doll test that was done in the 1940s, then again in like 2016, then again in like 2020, and it's the same results everywhere all over the world. They put like five, six, seven, eight, nine-year-olds in front of dolls, and they say, pick the pretty one. Across the board, no matter where they are, they pick the white one. Pick the smart one. Across the board, no matter where they are, they pick the white one. Pick the ugly one. No matter where they are, across the board, they pick the bad one, black one. Um, That doesn't just happen per chance. That is social and historical programming. That is conditioning by way of television, by way of radio, by way of uh, the news and how we portray people who happen to have skin like myself. And so the best thing I believe anyone could do for somebody, a person of color who happens to have more melanin in their skin is to show them examples often of what's possible. That if you can't see it, you cannot be it. And uh just like if I were to rearrange this this room that I'm standing in, the first thing I would have to have is a mental picture of what I want the room to look like. I can't grab that chair and move it over there unless I've already envisioned that chair being over there. And it's similar to all of us. One of the reasons why uh, I believe people experience success, however they deem it, is because they've envisioned and seen demonstrations of that very thing. Uh, it's one of the reasons why if someone's parent was abusive, sometimes they end up dating someone who's also abusive because they're just repeating the pattern because they think, walk, talk, and act like their parents because their parents were the demonstration of what's possible. And so in short, show him, give him examples, put him in. This is one of the beautiful things about YouTube and things of that nature is this little boy can receive all kinds of programming instead of just one kind of programming. I hated myself as a nine-year-old. I fried my hair straight because I wanted to be good hair and for it to look like white people. I asked my mom for blue contacts, which she said no to, but I wanted pretty eyes. Now, where did that come from? Where did pretty eyes being blue eyes? Where did I get that signal as an eight and nine-year-old? That's a deep level of self-hatred that I still have compassion for right now for that little boy inside of me.
0: So... I know we have to wrap soon, but how do you, and thank you for that. How do you see it? Maybe it's no different, but I feel like it is that there's also another layer of, of complexity on top of it because he is mixed. Because my friends have told me, you know, my friend Sharon is one of my very best friend and very dark skin like you. She's from the South. She's texted me on the way here. She said, just remember, he's just like anybody else. <laughs> she knew I was nervous. Sharon, hello. Say hi to Sharon. Hold on, say hi to Sharon.
1: Sharon, thank you for that. I received that. I am, and I'm also extraordinary. And, and, I'm, and I'm, I am extraordinary because I say so, right? There's a um, something called auto-suggestion that we all get to remember, which is essentially speak what you seek until you see what you said. I've spoken myself into existence, and therefore I am extraordinary. Oh,
0: and that is so Sharon. Oh, my God. Anyway, so we've talked about Sharon and Daryl. We just went to dinner with them recently and they were explaining to us that because Rocco, because of the shade of his skin, there will be different battles that their daughter doesn't have. He's not black enough. He's also not white enough. And and we we kind of knew that's kind of obvious, but it just, to me, this is where I feel so silly saying this, but I'm thinking in 2021, I can't believe... I just can't believe that. I know it's real, but but I haven't had to live it. So anyway, I feel like it's different, especially because as I said, your children have you. And so if my daughter doesn't, and I'm one of these people. So I did not recently say that I am Latina or I'm Mexican because I was raised to say I'm half, I'm half Mexican. My mom's Mexican. And just in the last year, my aunt's like, why do you say that? why do you say you are Mexican? Why don't you say that? And I'm like, well, I don't think I'm allowed to. And I looked at Rocco because I cared for him full time until a few months ago. And I was like, oh my God, I actually can relate to you Mm -hmm. differently. I know, but still similar that when we would go visit my cousins, they would make fun of me and they'd say, Jill Maria. They'd make fun of me. I was this hillbilly white girl from Indiana because they are all Mexican, none of them are mixed. And I'm so I had to decide. And I guess we decided we were not. Right? Does it make sense? So it's just it's just like another layer, right? Yes.
1: yes. There is colorism within all communities, as I mentioned earlier, including the Afro Amazing community. What I have hope for and and really am holding true to and speak into existence is by the time those kind of conversations start to happen, we will be at one of the last stages of grief for, you know, in the last 400 years, America has been in denial. The U S the world has been in denial, right? Look up the stages of grief and you understand what I'm talking about. And I believe that we're, we're moving into the acceptance stage of like, okay, this breakup is happening. And therefore, who do we want to be? How do we want to be given that we're no longer denying what is here? My friends, I'll never forget, I went to see the movie Traffic with some friends. I was 23 years old in Louisiana. And one of the opening scenes of this movie, which is why I still hate this movie, is Lorenz Tate and his friend at UCLA walking around the campus. And this couple sees them and like tightens up and grabs their purses and walks to the other side of the street. And Lorenz Tate and his friend says like, Oh, I hate that. Like, why do you guys, why do you do that? Which is something I experience often. People follow me around stores and things of that nature and get off elevators and clench their purses and things of that nature, which is very hurtful. But a lot of people, especially black and brown people who are bigger and darker, just, it's just comes with the territory. It's something I've experienced since I was a kid. And so the point is, is in that movie, they still rob them, which made me so mad because all the other characters had these redeeming qualities yeah. in that movie, except for the black characters. And same thing, they went and um, ate at a restaurant and then they didn't tip well. And my friends, at the, when we walked out, they're like, that's so true. Black people don't tip well, which I remember just like how hard that hit and how much it hurt me. And I, I believe I overcompensate even now. I'm one of the biggest tippers you can find. And I think it's a part of it is that voice. Trying to disprove this this theory that we're cheap and X Y and Z um, and lazy and X Y and Z when we're the ones who built this entire country and so there's there's so many layers and levels to it and you are correct and you cross that bridge when you come to it if you have to come to it you know you want my theory I think the the entire world in like a hundred years will all look like your grandson and my kids I agree. so I agree we'll roll with it.
0: All right, so there are people, but my husband and I, so we have five kids together. We're blended. So I had three, he had two, and they're they're all having birthdays right now, but they're 22, 21, 20, 18, and 17. And then we have Rocco, who they just moved out a couple months ago, but I still claim him. So anyway, we have a lot of young people that come through our house. And one way that I give back, and I don't do it because I say I'm going to give back, it just feels good and it's natural to me, is we mentor a lot of kids and one of my daughter's best friends, Jordan, was just texting me a couple of days ago and he'll ask me questions, like deep questions sometimes, you know, like I've been kind of sad lately and he'll reach out to me. It just so it makes me feel so good, right? And um I was just texting him on the way here, telling him I was coming here and TK's like, Yeah, so like what about Jordan? How does Jordan get help by someone like Preston? So It's like you are at this place where you should be, where you have high paying, high ticket clients, right? I'm one of those clients and that's where you should be. And will you share with people how people like Jordan, who's, you know, 20 years old, great family, but has some stuff actually similar to your story now that you've shared it. And, you know, he wants to be mentored by someone like you and I want him in front of someone like you. I'm assuming there are so many ways to access you without paying thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000, right?
1: Yes. So for anybody out there, and thank you for mentioning that, and we'll end on this, and it's, it's actually ironic and hilarious on some level. So for the last 10 years, I've been saying that when I make it, and I'm doing quotes here for those of you who can't see me, um, I will semi-retire uh, by the age of 45 and spend the rest of my time in life Uh, working specifically with outcast, um, black sheeps of the family, rocks of the family, black and brown people on energetics, wealth dynamics, and just freeing themselves from the inside out. And I've been saying that for 10 years. And recently, it's starting to just scream at me. It used to just be a whisper in the background. And now it's like, yo, you cannot, this is, it's time. And so I'm actually this year in the process coming year in the process of creating something specifically for the, for the Jordans and people where it's extremely affordable and specifically for people who didn't grow up with these kinds of conversations. Now, The other piece is I put so much free content on YouTube and Instagram and things of that nature, and I make it very easy for people to learn and pick up things. I also have workshops. I also have Empowered Brotherhood with Stephanos, who I know your husband has come to one of our activation circles, and that's only $25. We are setting up a membership specifically for for young men and older men, just basically 18 and up that will be a year long membership where we support. And it's extremely affordable. This is not in any way about the money. We just want them to have buy-in so that they show up for themselves. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you're, you're correct. There's a, a big gap and it's needed and necessary. And I know it, it's got my name on it. Well, you could teach the same thing that I teach, but they wouldn't be able to receive it in that way because you don't look like me. And, and so I know that that's a part of why I manifested and, and, uh, incarnated in this beautiful skin suit. So thank you for sharing that. Thank you for asking. And just thank you for being you and thank you for showing up. What you're doing for those kids is nothing short of miraculous. It's exactly what I needed and wanted as a child, but could not find. And so the fact that you're doing that, that ripple, you will never see the end of. There, that giving that you are doing for those children, not just yours, but the ones that show up as well, you will never, ever be able to catch how far that ripple goes out And so thank you from the bottom of my heart and thank you all for listening and receiving and being present for this amazing conversation.
0: So would you like to say before we totally wrap about something about Elementum? Just so you know, here I am getting brownie points again. I have talked about Elementum more than anybody in Elementum. This group of women listening, they have heard me talk for six months about Elementum. One of the people who enrolled came through the podcast and so they've heard me go on and on about it. So I don't need to say a word, but I want them to hear you say, basically, I want you to back me up. that This is different. It's I can't quite say it because I wasn't a coach. So if I say this is different than other coaching programs, they're like, well, how the hell do you know that? Well, I know it because Preston says so. But how is this different? And also it's an endorsement for me because the content they're getting is because of what I, I just put myself through for six months. And that was not playing around, right?
1: So Elementum is the one-stop shop for coaching. I've been in this world for quite a while, um, more than 10 years, and there is nothing as comprehensive and as gangster and as beautiful and as loving and as deep. Most of these programs, just so you understand, avoid certain subjects because they don't want to be sued and they don't have the depth to go there. So they hide from sexuality, they hide from spirituality, they hide from trauma, they, or, or you have to go to a trauma place, but you can't have that and breath work and NLP and nonviolent communication and the list goes on, right? We go into the depths of all of these things and help you. Help yourself to become a weapon of a coach because that's actually your job. And in doing so, the unintended consequence of that beautiful thing is you level up as a human just across the board. Um, you will walk away guaranteed a better, like a extremely present and activated human, let alone coach. And there's something that happens for any of you who are coaches out there when you are that weaponized. There's a confidence. I get clients without even trying because they can feel it reverberating from me. There's a presence and a knowing and a deepness. And I think I'm pretty awesome. Between my wife, Alexi, Christine, and Steph, you're getting like literally four programs in one because each of us brings our own medicine and that's why it's so complete. So I would highly suggest if you're a coach and you're thinking about taking your business and your life to the next level,
0: definitely jump in with us. Yeah. And and also many of you are not coaches. I have had people message me saying, you want to be a coach, right? To me, don't go anywhere else because I wasn't a coach. I really just did this because I trust Steph. And he said, I really see you doing this. And I did it for my own ha- healing and my own growth. That's the only reason I did it. And if you're listening and you say, like, you like this content, you like what we talk about on here, you want to learn more of that. And then they come to me and they're like, can you? I'm like, no, I, I'm not your person you can go do this talk about it's it's it is a personal development spiritual and i mean it's everything in 6 months that will transform the lives of your kids and their kids and their kids and i it's the best gift i ever gave to my family is doing this so thank you so much Preston you know how much i appreciate you and they know it i've mentioned you before and i appreciate you saying yes and giving me this time and Sharing yourself with them and believe it or not, there are people that don't know who you are. I never told you this story, but I had never heard of you until elementum. That's why you need to keep doing what you're doing. Isn't it crazy? You, I had no clue who you are. You are, Alexi. I had never heard of you. I'd never seen you. And I go into elementum I'm like, God, he looks familiar. He sounds familiar. I like him, but he also seems familiar. And I was like, Oh my God, he's that guest from, from impact theory that I liked from years ago. I, and that's how I remembered you. So anyway, thank you and tell them um, the best way to find you besides Instagram.
1: Yes. You can find me at PrestonSmiles.com or just at Preston Smiles, basically on anything. But if you are looking to be supported or you just want to send me a message and say hi, I check my own messages. I won't guarantee I'll get back to you immediately. But yeah, I appreciate all of you. Yeah, from my heart to yours, thank you. Just thank you for being such a powerhouse human. Thank you for getting back up. Thank you for opening your heart. Thank you for being receptive and willing to learn and grow. That by itself is enough and a really big deal. Just truly, truly grateful.
0: Thanks so much, everybody.